You're listening to Project Podcast, a platform to bring local youth stories to life. No topic is too weird or off limits. If it's interesting, you'll hear about it. A 4RFM community radio initiative. Take it away, kids. Welcome to 4RFM's Project Podcast. Life's Magical Masterpieces. That's right, life's magical masterpieces. Today we are using a news format to bring you four different takes on magic. We'll go to the North Pole and look at elves, to the Project Podcast headquarters to look at magic in the real world. We will research if our toys can really come to life and explore magical forests. And we will take you all with us. Here Here we go! This is Sam reporting from the Project Podcast headquarters. Our reporters, Summer, Willow and Neva, are out on the field researching all things magical, but we'll cross to them once I've taken you through my segment on real magic, which you never thought would have existed, but that you can find if you look hard enough. Magic was once just a myth, a legend, or a misconception, if you must. But is it really? Now, although we don't see magic in our daily lives, we can see it a lot in different countries in the United States, Australia, Britain, or wherever you live, really. The only magic you'll ever see is your Roomba cleaning the floor. But in other countries, like Africa, you can find tons of magic and rituals of sorts. One of my favourites is a dance named Adamu, which comes from and is performed in a group called Maasai. Adamu is a dance of sorts where a male adult turns into a man, which is usually at age 26, and they can become an eligible bachelor. In this dance, the one who jumps the highest will attract the best bride. It's performed to show skill and fitness, and as a way to show off their hunting ability. As they do the dance, they wear a special type of clothing named shukar. Shukar is a vibrant colored cloth that is worn while doing the dance, and it mostly consists of the color red, along with orange, blue, yellow, and green. Red is considered to be a sacred color and represents blood, and is the basic color for all shukar. Along with its colourful appearance, it also brings benefits. Orange is for hospitality, warmth and friendship. Blue is for the sky, which provides rain for the cattle. Green is nourishment and production. And yellow is for fertility and growth. The tribesmen who do the dance consider it as magic. If you Google it or have been lucky enough to see it yourself, you will see that it will certainly look magical. Now that we've talked about Africa, I think we should move on to the so-called country of the future, or better known, Japan. Although Japan has a wide range of technology and manages to produce the most beautifully handcrafted animes, they do indeed still use magic. Now, if you've watched enough anime, you probably know what ki is. If not, ki is a form of energy that flows through our bodies and was created by a Buddhist monk in the early 1900s. But now to the magic. The magic I'm referring to is reiki. Reiki is quite simple and a very weird form of magic. Reiki involves putting your palms near the person you're trying to heal, and then transferring your key to them in a specific, directed way. I find it a little strange, but it sounds pretty amazing. Did you know that it can also be used for long-distance healing, and travels across space and time to get to the other person? There are also at least three different Reiki practitioners in Moranba. That's a long way from Japan. Now, I want to move on to the somewhat scary side of things. Let's talk about Ouija boards. 
Ouija boards date back from all the way to the American 19th century. One of the first ones was advertised as Ouija, the wonderful talking board. This was the catchphrase used while being advertised in the newspaper. Unless you live under a Netflix rock of sorts, Ouija boards were a board that consisted of the English alphabet, every number from 0 to 9, a text saying yes in the top left corner, a text saying no in the top right corner, and simply just the word goodbye at the bottom. Now, how would this be scary, you may ask? Well, when they said the wonderful talking board, they quite literally meant it. You can talk to spirits. Now, I hate to break it to you, but you aren't really exactly talking to spirits. It's something called the ideomotor effect. How this effect works is just that you just make motions unconsciously. To put it in better terms, you make movements with your body without actually realizing that you made them. To help me prove my point, when you're finished listening to this amazing podcast, grab something small like a button or a ring from a string. Hold it a foot away from you or 30 centimeters away and hold the string in a way that the weight will hang freely. Try to hold your arm completely still don't move your arm while it's happening, and then slowly it will start to swing clockwise or anti-clockwise. Crazy, but it doesn't stop there. Ask yourself a question, any question, and say that the weight will swing clockwise to answer yes and anti-clockwise for no. Hold this thought in mind, and soon, even though you are trying not to make any motion, the weight will start to swing in answer to your question. If you want to believe that this works, then that's good for you. You can use it to help you make decisions. But me, I know it won't work, so I'll stick to logic. Another form of magic that is real, but also not real, is the old magic trick of sawing someone in half and then putting them back together. There was a lot of debate when this trick was first performed, but I can tell you that up until the 1920s, it was just an idea that a lot of magicians, particularly Houdini, talked about rather than performed. There are heaps of variations on this trick, which is basically where the magician cuts his beautiful assistant, either in half or to pieces, in front of a live audience. Some of them include Golden's box soarings, wakeling, the thin model, transparent boxes, double soaring, jigsaw, bow saw, buzz saw, cell bit soaring, and the death saw. These last two are what I find most interesting. According to Wikipedia, for the cell bit soaring, multiple people are recruited from the audience. One or more of these people are invited to tie ropes around the assistant's wrists, ankles, and neck. The assistant then steps into a wooden crate or box, which is similar in proportion, but slightly larger than a coffin. The ropes are then threaded through holes in the box, and the ends are given to volunteers, who are instructed to pull them tight and keep hold of them. The assistant is thus secured in a standing spread eagle position in the box. The box is then closed and lifted into a horizontal position on a set of trestles. The magician then slides glass plates through the crate, and apparently through his assistant. The magician then soars right through the center of the box, dividing it in two. The sections are pulled slightly apart, and the assistant's torso is visible. The impression is that the saw blade must have passed through the assistant's midriff. The assistant is then released from the box, and is revealed to be unharmed. One of my other favourites is the Death Saw. It's usually presented as an escape gone wrong. Its best-known performer is David Copperfield. The performer is secured to a table beneath a large buzzsaw blade, which is set to descend upon them after control of a timing mechanism. After being secured with various ropes, the performer is enclosed in a box. Then the saw is set going. 
After a while, the sides of the box fall away to reveal the performer struggling to escape through the manacles. Finally, the sword drops before the performer has time to escape. The blade slices right through the performer's body, and two halves of the table are rolled apart so that the performer is clearly separated into two sections. The performer then appears to command the whole process to reverse. The body halves go back together, the sword rises, the box closes. Finally, the performer emerges unharmed from the box. Modern day magicians perform all sorts of magic, but they are always your basic variations on old magic tricks that can eventually be explained or learned. So really, is magic everywhere? Well, you just have to look. That was some fun, but I'm afraid I'm going to have to sign off now. But remember, magic is everywhere. You've just got to see it to believe it. Now we're going to cross over to Summer, who is investigating on if toys are really real. Over to you, Summer. Thanks, Sam. I'm Summer, and I am reporting from a very tidy and well-kept toy room full of shelves and organised boxes, dollhouses and diagrams. I want to talk to you about toys and the magical belief that they contain a glimmer of life. To start this off, I have a surveillance exercise for you. This might take some time and some tools, so feel free to try it out when you have both. You will need a listening device, like a walkie-talkie or a phone, a camera, like a phone, a Polaroid camera or a security camera, and observation power, otherwise known as patience. And toys, as many or as few as you like, but really, the more the better. Now, slip the listening device into your toy chest or a dark place that your toys usually are. Record for an hour or so and then listen back for noises. Take pictures of your toys before you go to bed and again after you wake up and see if there are any differences in position. Place your hand gently on the bonnet of any toy cars or toys with engines and see if the bonnet is warm. Monitor toys that frequently go missing from their usual places. Over a week or so, make notes of where you put them and where to find them. Check dolls, including action figures, Barbies and soft toys to see if you can feel a pulse. Be patient. It takes a long time for us to understand how toys communicate. Just know that if you're good to them, they'll be good to you. Well, there you have it. Your first big experiment. Just remember, it's from the internet, and I'm just saying the internet can be wrong. You have to trust your own results and leave room for a little bit of magic. As for me, well, I've seen my toys move before. Sort of. A few years ago, my friend Middens, who I have to stop and describe to you, is an orange tabby cat stuffed animal about three inches high with bright pink sparkly eyes. Or at least they used to be bright. She was my first Beanie Boo and she's a bit old and her eyes are a bit duller now, but she has a bright and cheery spirit and I will love her as long as I can. Well, anyway, Middens was in one position and the next time I looked, she was in another But to give a bit of the truth, it was a very crowded place and she could have been easily bumped. It is thought that toys are most magical for kids around the age of four to five. At this time, all children believe that the things around them are alive and then as they grow older, they stop believing and that's how I think toys lose their magic and lose their lives. If you were to go search this topic on the internet like I did, 
than most of what can be found are things like toys and other man-made items are not alive, or they have no sentiments of their own. According to the internet, it is impossible for inanimate objects to be alive or have the ability to communicate and interact with us. A stuffed animal does not have a heart that has blood flowing through it and, as we know, all living things need a heart in order to survive. Since stuffed animals don't have blood or pumping hearts, it proves they are not alive. These are only a few short examples of the many negatives the internet holds. But have you ever heard of the magical thing called magic? Don't believe in it? Well, that's why we're all here to give you a little snippet of what we know about magic. When it comes to the wonderful world of toys, toys can live without insides and beating hearts because they're magic. A theory I found that may explain the reason we don't know much about toys being alive is because they can wipe out memories. For example, if somehow they heard you gasp when you saw them move or heard them talking, moving, playing, maybe... The magic they hold just gives them the ability to to stop you in your tracks and reset your brains, like the Neuralizer from Men in Black. Who knows? With magic, anything is possible. Despite all the negatives from the scientists, on the internet there are some who still have a heart of belief. I found a very interesting website by a lady named Shelley Corbett, and she is a professional toy photographer and Lego ambassador. She was an art photographer but went through a bit of a midlife crisis when she gave photography away altogether. She started to play with Lego and from this she says she had a light bulb moment that marked the beginning of her return to photography and understanding the importance of play in her adult life. She spends her time now creating stories through photos and bringing her toys to life through her photos. In one of her blog posts, Shelley says, For me, a good image is one in which the viewer makes an emotional connection with the image. I wonder if I can tell the difference. What makes one image of a small plastic person look more alive than another? Is it the tilt of a head? Is it the particular movement of the legs? A small gesture of the curved hand? Or maybe just a trick of the light? It's not like Lego is a particularly movable, expressive toy figure. Yet some images seem alive, while others just lie flat on the screen. I have always approached my toy photography as an attempt to bring the toys alive. As a young girl, my toys were very real to me. We chatted, they listened. They went everywhere with me, and for lack of a better description, they're my friends. I want my viewer to feel what I feel while I document the lives of my little plastic friends. I like the way she thinks. And I love her photographs. Our toys are our friends and we spend so much time with them. Tell them our secrets and create wonderful worlds and lives for them, full of fantasy, fun and adventure. Treating them with kindness and love doesn't hurt anyone. In fact, it teaches us to be kind to all things, alive or plastic. And if they ever did come to life, I think they would be a lot nicer to people who took care of them rather than those who don't. I know my toys would be very kind. Like is the way with magic. If you just believe enough, try long enough, they'll give up trying to hide and start talking and moving around you, right in front of you. Now, I have a little experiment before I hand this over to Willow. Get a small toy, 
Not too small, but not too big either. Sit him or her somewhere that you cannot get distracted and look at them for as long as you can and see if you can spot even the slightest movement. You might be surprised. Thanks for your time, everyone. And remember, if you do see them move, try not to let them catch you watching. Handing over to Willow. Be good to your toys. Summer. This is Willow from Project Podcast and I'm coming to you from the Enchanted Wood to talk about magical nature. Looking at the role of plants, animals and different locations play in the world of magic. Whenever you hear about witches' potions and the ingredients they use, you can hear them mixing stuff like frog's legs, newt's eyes and bat wings in their cauldrons. This sounds pretty bad because it makes you believe they would have to kill animals to get these parts, and all it really does is make witches sound mean. Well, in breaking news, I'm here to tell you that most of these ingredients are actually just fancy names for plants. Who knew? Let's have a look at a few of them. Tooth of wolf. This sounds scary, but this ingredient is speculated to be either wolfsbane or club moss. Wolfsbane is a plant native to Europe and has distinct purple flowers. Its nickname comes from the fact that it is highly poisonous and it was often used to kill feared predators such as wolves. Club moss, also called wolf's foot or wolf's claw, are herbs that have many spiny leaves. Lizard's legs. This ingredient is thought to refer to ivy. Ivy is a general name for plants that grow up walls or trees as long green vines, often with many leaves, flowers and berries. Owlet's wing. The identity of this ingredient is less clear. It is possible that it is, could be either garlic or ginger plants. Garlic is a herb related to onions that features a long stalk growing out of a white bulb located underground. Ginger is a plant with long reedy stem and banded tasty root underground. Both of these smelly plants are often used in cooking. Scale of dragon. This ingredient could refer to the dragon scale plant. True to its name, the leaves of this plant resemble large green dragon scales. Another possible plant that fits the bill is tarragon a leafy green herb found worldwide that is often referred to as dragon or is known by many dragon-themed nicknames. Blindworm sting. This ingredient is a source of speculation. It may be a poppy seed, not wood or wormwood. Poppies are sometimes referred to as blind eyes and all poppies are poisonous, which would explain the sting. Knotwoods are bamboo-like weeds and small flowers that often invade other plants' territory. Wormwood is a plant with white or green stems and bulbous yellow flowers. Besides having a name that fits, wormwood has been used in traditional medicines for a long time. Adder's fork. The snaky ingredient refers to the dog tooth violet, which isn't technically a violet. Commonly called the trout lily, is a small plant with delicate purple or yellow flowers that is beloved by honeybees and other pollinators. 
All ingredients listed above would have to be found in a forest just like the one I'm in today. These enchanted woods are filled with many secrets, such as little homes built under mossy trees, where the sunlight sparkles through the shady trees. There are so many colours glowing through this wood, and many of the most adorable animals relaxing in the sunlight. Whereas the forest just across the flowing river is dark, gloomy, with crows cawing and bats hanging from branches. There are fallen over trees scattered throughout and a spooky mist sits just above the ground. Some creatures that call magic forests and enchanted woods home are dragons, dwarfs, fairies, giants, gnomes, goblins, ogres, trolls, unicorns and the phoenix. The phoenix is my favourite magic creature. They live in magic forests like this because they can always be reborn and have magic powers. They live in a nest on the ground, on the same land where they were born. They build their nest from cinnamon and milk. And once they are born, they can live up to 500 years before they set fire and are then reborn from the ashes. An amazing fact about phoenixes is that only one can be alive at any one time. A famous phoenix that you may have heard of is the one featured in the Harry Potter series. The phoenix in the book and films has tears that can heal wounds. My second favourite creature from these woods is a fairy. I think they're pretty great because they have magical knowledge like casting spells and they can become invisible, which means they can hide from humans who have not been into the fairy realm and they are immortal, which means they can live forever. While it is believed that fairies are sweet and innocent beings, they can in fact be far from it. Some of the stories of fairies say they could be vicious, vindictive and cruel. Fairies could kidnap women, children or men as they saw fit, often at times replacing infants with changelings. But more often, targets of fairies were travellers and musicians as many fairies were said to love song and dance. A legendary way that fairies are said to capture humans is by using a fairy ring. Fairy rings are a circle of mushrooms growing anywhere from in fields to forests or lawns. These magical rings are believed to be very mysterious and sometimes dangerous. There are stories of people being lured to enter and dance with the fairies. Then when they go to leave the ring and go home, they find that many years have passed. I guess they were lucky they could leave at all. One folktale in Ireland talks of a girl who was on her way home with bread. She heard music and went to see where it was coming from, and she came across a group of fairies who were having a jolly good time dancing in their fairy ring of beautiful red-spotted mushrooms. They asked for her to come dance with them, so she stepped in the fairy ring and danced for a while. Then she told them that she must go home to see her mother, who was waiting for her. When she got home, she was shocked to see that her mother was 20 years older, while she still had the fresh loaf of bread and hadn't aged a day. As you can see here, enchanted woods and spooky forests are full of surprises, both good and bad. If there is one thing that we can agree on, it's that there is very strong magic in every part, from the dirt to the soft grasses of the fields, the tall trees, the evergreens and the spooky vines. The ponds and rivers sparkle with magic, and even the air feels different. Mists come and go and whisper in the dark. There is magic everywhere. Thanks for sticking around to hear from me, Willow.
Now over to Ava. I'm off to catch a fairy. Thanks, Willow. Hi, everyone. This is Eva reporting from the North Pole for Project Podcast. I'm here at the top of the world today to talk to you about the magical life of elves. First, let's talk about real elven sightings. Now, most of you will be like, elves aren't real, but they are. And if you see them in real life, you will believe this. Places elves have been spotted is Iceland, here in the North Pole, and all around the world in households. Now, there isn't one specific area. They can definitely be found anywhere in the world. I'm sure everyone is familiar with Christmas elves. You may know them because most families celebrate Christmas, and if you don't, then you most likely will be told about them by your friends or teachers. There are also a lot of children's books written on elves, such as The Elf Off the Shelf, A Christmas Tradition Gone Bad by Horace the Elf. This book came with Our Elf on the Shelf, and it's about a Christmas, an elf experiencing traditions gone wrong. Elf on the Shelf is a very popular elf that you definitely would have heard of. I have eight interesting facts about them. Christmas elves are no higher than four feet tall, quite tall for elves. They are around the size of a child, so keep your eyes peeled. The formal colour of the Christmas elf is red and green. Christmas colours. I love a good Christmas colour combo. The elven clothes are designed to keep the elves warm in their freezing environment. They are traditionally made of yarn and flax and a bit of their magic. Flax is like a material with blue flowers spreading all over it. You can find it growing in forests, according to the internet. I don't know much about flax. Christmas elves look like dwarves, but they are definitely a lot more active and busy than dwarves. They are very lazy. All elves have rosy cheeks, so if you're trying to spot one, look out for that. Our elves clearly need somewhere to live, and I just found out what their houses look like. Yes, that's right, our little elf buddies live in small cottages decorated with fairy lights, gingerbread, and other Christmas ornaments. Throughout the year, our Christmas buddies need somewhere to call home as well. I mean, they can't leave their houses floating in the void, can they? No. They live at the North Pole, in forests and underground. Their homes are basically like a dollhouse, but shrunk millimetres smaller, and the underground homes are built a long way beneath the earth and are basically tiny homes underground where the streets are all like tunnels. The elf homes in the forest are built in trees and rocks. They use their magic to make them suitable for living and very comfortable. And our last but not least fact is that the elves can be female as well as male. Now that you know a little bit more about our buddies, the Christmas elves, let's talk about Iceland elves. The people in Iceland really believe in elves. They even have laws protecting them. I have a few facts about Iceland elves. Fact 1. They live in rocks. Not very comfortable, hey. But it's not pure rock. They still have cushions and all that. Icelandic elves also look a lot like humans, so watch out. They could be anywhere. Another fact is that Icelandic elves are considered hidden creatures, and that is the reason not a lot of people see them. But people who have have amazing stories on human-looking elves looking nearly exactly like a real human being. A story that I found was of a farmer when he was a kid, and he was with his friends and his farmer cousin. They were told to drive the tractor, and all the friends went. As they were driving up a hill, all of a sudden, they saw a greenhouse that looked more like a hazy mirage, sort of see-through. When they went down the hill, they looked back and saw that the greenhouse was gone, and standing where the greenhouse was, there was an elf there instead. 
Icelandic elves also have very rosy cheeks, like our Christmas elves. I did some research and found that Christmas elves and Icelandic elves are in fact related. They probably have such rosy cheeks because they live in a cold environment. Last fact, another thing that separates Icelandic elves to the human is their size. They are 36 inches high. That's right, 36 inches. 36 inches is about 36 regular paper clips stacked on top of each other end to end, or roughly two and a half bowling pins sitting on top of each other. Now, how do elves live? Well, let's find out. Elves like to travel, read, and make friends. Elves also like candy, candy canes, candy corns, and syrup. Now, while that's all unhealthy, elves also like healthy foods like pies, spaghetti, and meat, but they much prefer sugary stuff. Some elves work at Santa's workshop. Others keep the forest animals at peace and look after the land. Apparently, elves love to listen to rap music. Get it? Elven behavior is very cheeky, and they love to play with pets. Last but not least, if you're wondering how movies recreate elves like Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, and the Christmas movie Elf, well, most of the time, what they do is dress up a human like an elf and then change the camera angles and lights. The magic of cinema. Well, that's all I have on elves for now. If you would like to find out more about elves, particularly about their hidden worlds, I highly suggest reading the series Keeper of the Lost Cities by Shannon Messenger. I started reading it in year five and have been hooked ever since. I love it so much my mum is trying to convince me to read a different series. I have, but only until the next book comes out this month. Sorry, Mum. Thank you for tuning in to my magical segment. I'm off to race reindeer down a snowy slope in the North Pole. I hope you learnt something new that you didn't know before. This is Eva signing out for Project Podcast. Back to you in the studio, Sam. Thanks, Eva. Well, that about wraps things up here at Project Podcast Headquarters. Signing out from Sam. Signing out from Summer. Signing out from Eva. And signing out from Willow. Signing Signing out from Life's Magical Masterpieces. Masterpieces.